you know, the devil is angry. I'll tell you just how angry he is. We started last week the first part of the series on the Antichrist. And uh, this microphone was on so you could hear up on the speaker up there. But it wasn't recording back on the recording in the back. And there was just happens to be a, a microphone that was back there or would all been dead, but it's real faint. You can hardly hear on the on the CDs and the tapes that you probably got last week. The devil just doesn't want the message out that uh, the time is right for him to come and to be able to fool, like it says in Daniel or in uh, Matthew chapter 24, to fool the very elect. He wants you to be fooled, so he doesn't want you to hear the sermons. He doesn't want you to share it with anyone else. He wants it to be kept a secret that he's alive and about ready to make a big move in the world today. A lot of things are happening. Uh, Gary talked about Tyson losing his job. That's my son. Uh, just lost his job this last week, as a half a million other people lost their jobs as well, too. The jobless rate is on the increase. Uh, when you listen to the president-elect Obama, and he gives to you what the world is like, uh, especially the United States, he doesn't give a very good picture, does he? that it may take at least a trillion dollars a year that the United States will have to go into debt for the next two, three, four years, who knows how long. Uh, how are we going to pay for all that? We can't even pay the deficit that we have now, let alone add trillions of dollars. But it's not only here, but it's other countries in the world today. And then... Uh, the jobless rate, uh, the stock markets is going all crazy. Something's happening. I tell you what's happening. Jesus is coming soon. And we've got to be ready. And so that's why we're looking at this. There's a lot of churches that don't want to look at the end times. They want to stick their head in the sand and say, oh, nothing's happening in the world today. We'll get through this. We've gotten through it before. Oh boy. I feel sorry for some of the pastors who have the weight on their shoulders because of the fact that they're refusing to be able to talk the fact that Jesus is coming soon and we're going through some rough times. The Bible calls it tribulation. And we're seeing it in the entire world. The key is... What are we going to do about it? What is, can we as followers of Christ, what can we do to be able to see that we're not going to be fooled? Now last week we took a look at the fact that the Antichrist is going to try so close to being just like Jesus, to being just like the, the, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has his own uh, Father, Son, and Unholy Spirit. He's going to be so close to being so spiritual that he's out to fool the very elect. He's out to be able to 
deceive you and think that you're following God when in reality you're not? How can I keep from being a part of deception? How can I keep from being a part of his his power? Because we're going up against a mighty power, that's for sure. I was thinking about that over Christmas and I'm and, and I was sitting in a in the Denver South Church and listening to the Sabbath school class and it came very strong to me about an Old Testament story that not only shows us kind of what the Antichrist is like, and he does many different ways, you know, deception, uh, he does uh, out of fear, you know, make you be afraid, uh, make you think that there's nothing's going on. Um, but I wanted to see what is it that I can do to be able to help myself to get through and not be deceived and be on God's side. That's what we want to know, isn't it? Well, here is the Old Testament story. If you take your Bible and turn in your Bible, the Old Testament, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Now, some of you will know the story already. And you'll say, this pastor has flipped out. Well, give me a chance before you put judgment on me. First Samuel chapter 17. And we'll start with verse 48. I was going to read the whole chapter, but I thought, oh, well, you probably got things going in, there in your oven at home and you wouldn't want to sit here and read all that. So we want to go First Samuel chapter 17. We want to start with verse 48. 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. Who's this Philistine? Goliath. Okay. That David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, that's Goliath's sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled." Just to get you in to the tone of the story. We know David and Goliath. We've heard it. We've seen it. Even secular kids today, a lot of them know about David and Goliath. They can tell you this story. A lot of kids sing the little song, Only a Boy Named David. They can sing it out and they know what it's like. But you might be asking, how can this be like the Antichrist? that we're looking at. A mere boy with a slingshot defeating a pagan warrior? Well, we've got to look at it a little closer. Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines were often called the Sea People. Scholars are not exactly sure where they came from. Just the fact that they were seamen that came to Israel, 
by the way, a lot of them settled all up and down the coast of Israel. A big portion of them settled down where the Gaza Strip is now. Just so you can get the perspective. Fighting back then, still fighting today. They're called the Sea People because they came on the ship to Israel. There wasn't a lot of them. The Egyptians who kind of controlled the area at the time didn't see them as a threat. In fact, the Egyptian says, you know, it's okay. Let's have kind of a stronghold here and they can kind of protect the coast a little bit. So they became the allies of, of the Egyptians and was going to help out. Didn't realize that they were going to build up in number and that they were going to be a, a powerful entity. But here they are. They, they came from the sea. Does that sound familiar at all? Go to Revelation. Keep your finger back here on 1 Samuel. Go to Revelation chapter 13, talking about the Antichrist beast. Revelation chapter 13. We want to look at verse 1. Here's the description in the book of Revelation, written for people living in the time just before Jesus comes talks about the Antichrist beast, used many names in, in the book of Revelation and in Daniel as well too. He's the beast, he's the harlot. Uh, there's many different kinds of descriptions that are there. Here it's called a beast. Then I stood, verse 1, then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the, out of the water, out of the sea. Having seven heads and ten horns and on the Horns, ten crowns, and on the heads, a blasphemous name. Came up out of the sea. The Philistines came from the sea. Often called a fearful fighting machine, the Philistines were. Um, in fact, they were called the fighting machines of iron because a lot of their weapons were made of iron. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at the weapon Goliath used against the God's people. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 7. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. 600 Shekels. I don't know what it says in yours. It's varying weights, probably about 25 pounds, the spearhead. In order to be accurate, you had to be in a big guy to be able to throw that spear. Um, scholars are still trying to determine how tall Goliath was. They say anywhere from 9 feet tall to 14 feet tall. Whatever it is, even if he was 9 feet tall, was a big guy. And it had to be a big guy to throw that spear. But he used this weapon of iron. Now look at the description of the Antichrist beast as described by Daniel this time. Daniel chapter 7, if you would go there. Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verse 19. Here's the beast. Daniel 7. Beginning with verse 19. Daniel was concerned when he had this dream about this fourth beast. And it says, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others. 
exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze. By the way, the helmet that Goliath wore was bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet and so forth. So there it is talking about this iron beast, the Antichrist beast. And here's Goliath, big, tall guy, taller than anyone else in the Philistines. And he was a fighting machine with the weapons of iron. Makes war with the saints is what Daniel talks about. This beast that comes up. And of course, this Philistine is making war with the saints of God. You see the parallels? The Philistine government and people elected this leader, this giant of a man, to lead them into victory, giving this man great power and authority. And, and this power uh, that he had was against God's people. And in reality, it was actually the power was given to them to rule in that area by the Egyptians. Satan works through governments to use force against God's people. We've always seen that in the past, and it isn't going to be any different today. And so things are being set up. It was Satan that had set up the government that would be against God's people. Take a look at Revelation chapter 13 again, and verse 2. Here's this Antichrist beast. Revelation 13, verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The same description that Daniel had in Daniel 7. The dragon, who's the dragon? Satan gave him this beast, his power, his throne, and his great authority. So he received his power and his throne and his great authority. The Philistines received their power and their ability to rule along the Israel's coast from Egypt. And they've got his great authority. So there's a lot of parallels. We could just keep going on and on and on all day looking at the parallels between the Antichrist beast that's going to be present at the time before Jesus comes and the Philistine government back in those days when, when uh, Goliath was there and, and Samson. So we're seeing these things. Now look how the followers of God reacted to Goliath's threats. I mean, here he is. Every day he comes out, he stands on his side of, of his hill and there's a valley down between and the Israelites are on the other with their army and uh, Goliath stands up there. Go back to 1 Samuel 17. Look at verse 10 and 11 and then verse 32 and 33. 1 Samuel 17, beginning with verse 10. And the Philistine, that's Goliath, said... I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly what? They were afraid. Look at the fear. Now go to verse 32 and verse 33. Here's Saul, the king of Israel. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. How do you think Saul felt? 
There was, no, there was no use. He was just as afraid as his army, and he says, you know, we can't stand against this. There's no way we can stand up against this powerful figure that is there. Who's able to make war, is what he's saying in his actions. Who's able to make war with this Philistine? We can't do it. You certainly can't do it, David. Does that sound familiar? Go back to Revelation 13, verse 4. Revelation 13, verse 4. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Parallels. Just almost like the book of Revelation and, and, and 1 Samuel is going hand in hand. Here is a terrifying looking guy that is standing up, has great power and authority, is against God's people. They are afraid. They're intimidated by his height. They're intimidated by his, his uh, uh, big brass helmet and his, his armor and his spear with, uh, with iron and... And they just can't figure out who can make war with them. And we're doing the same thing. Because there's no way that we can make war with anything that the devil sets up on our own power. So how are we going to stand up against him? What are we going to do if there's no hope? Way before the book of Revelation was written, God gave to his people this story of David and Goliath, a story that also foretells the Antichrist beast. Some of God's people back then are attracted to this powerful force. Did you know that some of the Philistines and some of the people of the tribe of Dan intermarried with each other? So they're not going to fight this Philistine. That's my family. So they intermarried. A lot of them were afraid, just very fearful for their lives. There are those God's people who think they can fight the devil with their own armor and weapons. Old Saul said, you know, started putting his, his armor and his weapons upon David and says, if you're going to fight him here, use this. It's not good enough. You can't fight the devil in that same situation. So how can we get through? David defeated this powerful foe. How can we do it? Go back to 1 Samuel 17. And let's look at verse 33 through 36. Verses 33 through 36. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, 
And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Where did David fight these lions and bears? He was a shepherd out in the wilderness. He had a wilderness experience. Have you ever heard of wilderness experience before? You had Moses that went out for 40 years in the wilderness and took care of the sheep that was out there. You had Jesus, after his baptism, went out into the wilderness. And that's where he communed and got his strength and his power and his ministry from, from the Holy Spirit. And being was also when the devil tried to tempt him the most, was out in that wilderness. But here David had this wilderness experience. His job was to, to, to tend his family's flock of sheep out in nature. In his everyday life, he would sit out there and, he, and, and when the sheep were grazing, he'd take his harp and he would start strumming on the harp and coming up with tunes. Do you know a lot of the psalms are songs that David created out in that wilderness experience that really shows his relationship with his father. It, it, it was a time when he was out there that he wasn't just watching the sheep bored to death. He made this an experience with God. He drew closer to God during this time period as he was watching. During this time... If something of, of great harm came to his sheep, he would gather strength and courage from God to fight the king of the beast and to fight the mighty bear. David recognized that he was daily coming into a more intimate communion with God. That's what we have to have. In order to be able to stand up against the deceptive ways of the Antichrist beast, we have to take our life and make it a priority that we are going to use every day to draw closer intimately to the God of heaven. Amen. That's in everything that we do. That's in our work. We don't sit there and, and say, well, my work is something different. My work is just a part of coming into a relationship with God as anything else. So when I'm at work, when I'm at home, whatever I'm doing, if I'm on vacation, if I'm, if I'm traveling down the road, instead of listening to talk radio, let's talk to God. Amen. It's a time of drawing closer to Him. It's the only way I'm going to get through the rough times when things are going really bad. And they're starting to do that in this world today. I need that time. Develop that communion. Now look at 1 Samuel 17 and verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. This is a statement of faith. David had total faith that God would deliver him from this evil one. 
Isn't that what it says in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in some translations it says, deliver us from the evil one. David was willing not only to put his faith in God that God would deliver him, but he was willing to share that faith with others. He didn't hold it back, but he was speaking to Saul, the king, and he says, God will deliver me. The more I verbally share with others my faith, the stronger my faith will get. It will increase when I begin to verbally say to you, you might believe that way, but here's what I believe. And I share my faith with someone else. Because when things, when it looks like the rug is being pulled out from under me, it is my faith that's going to see me through. I'm saved by grace through faith. I have to have that faith. And so when I verbally express that faith, it increases my strength. Not that I'm going to be able to fight the devil, but it increases my strength and my knowledge in knowing that God is going to defeat him through me. How many of our friends recognize us for our strong faith in either our words or our actions? You ought to stop and think about that. When other people at work or just my neighbor, if they see me, do they see me as the guy that's just pulling weeds in the lawn or do they see me as a guy with strong faith? Am I willing to share my faith with someone else or do I hold back out of fear because I don't want them to think that I'm some kind of a religious nut? It's the religious nuts that are going to be saved. I want to be that religious nut. So how do other people perceive me? Look at David's faith demonstrated in his actions. Look at 1 Samuel 17 and verse 40. Verse 40. And he took his staff, that's his old crooked neck staff that he used with his sheep, in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Aha, pastor, I got you there. He didn't have much faith at all, did he? He took five stones. If he had a lot of faith, he'd have only taken one. You're right. Goliath had four brothers. And he knew that if he killed one, at some point, he would have to kill the other four. Somewhere along the line. I remember my aunt telling me, my dad's sister, it was a family of ten brothers and sisters, and my, my aunt saying, you know, we siblings fight like cats and dogs, but if someone ever stands up against and says something bad about any of us, he's got to fight all ten of us. And that's what it was there. You stand up against Goliath, you've got to stand up against the other 
four brothers who were just as tall and as giant as he was. David had great faith. David used his everyday life to strengthen his relationship with God. David was willing to verbally and and with his actions share his great faith in God. Let's look at what else we can learn from David to defeat the giants in our lives. 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 and 33. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth and he a man of war from the youth. David would not allow others to discourage his faith. You see, Saul was sitting there, and he was trying to do the best he could, and he says, look, you're just a young guy. You don't have any experience in the army or anything else. You just can't do it. There are many people who are very sincere people who try to discourage you from sharing your faith, from acting on your faith. They'll do it in in many different ways. Don't let them discourage you. Great faith is standing bold before the Lord, saying, I know my God can deliver me. You remember? We shared it a few weeks ago about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fiery furnace. If you didn't bow down to this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar built, when the music stopped, you was going to be killed. And they had that old furnace a-going and everything else. And you remember what those three guys said? They says, you know, our God is able to deliver us. Great faith. But he says, but if for some reason or other God doesn't, let it be known, O king, we're still not going to bow down to your image. That's great faith in God. I know God can deliver me, but in case if for some reason or other that he doesn't, he's got a good reason for it. It may be to be able to build and, and, and to strengthen someone else. It may be, who knows what it might be, but God is in total control of my life and God is the one that's going to defeat the giant and I'm going to allow him to do it. No matter what it is, it's always thy will be done. Not what I want to do. It's what he is going to do. What he is in control of all situations. Look at verses 38 and 39. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of of mail and David fastened his sword to the armor and tried to walk. For he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them all off. After putting on that whole armor, the guy couldn't walk. Man, it's too heavy. Too cumbersome. David refused to rely upon human weapons to fight this spiritual foe. You and I cannot go up against the devil using conventional warfare and our own thoughts and our own strengths. Put your finger here. 
Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 11 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Look what it says here. Here's what we're supposed to wear. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, not man, of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of whom? Oh, here it comes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your, girded your waist with truth. Brothers and sisters, you've got to have truth. Jesus, when he stood up against Satan in the wilderness, and Satan tried to tempt him, Jesus says, it is written. He used the truth to be able to get at him. You want to be able to get against the devil? Use the truth. He cannot stand it because he's the father of lies. Girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Is that your righteousness? It's the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to put on Christ. Christ is going to be my life today and every day. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I've got to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got to look at it. I've got to study it. I've got to memorize it. I've got to make it a part of my life. And above all, taking the shield of faith. That's what David went with. With which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation. Jesus Christ has supplied for me salvation. I have eternal life waiting for me. And the sword of the Spirit... I am strong in the Spirit of Christ, which is the Word of God. I go forth to battle with this armor on, not the armor of mankind. I cannot stand up against the devil in my own power. I cringe at the people that just stand there and say, I'm going in and I'm going to take care of the devil. Get behind me, devil. If you don't have the strength of Jesus Christ in your life, you can say, get behind me all you want, and the devil will not move except move in to you. When he moves in, he brings seven of his other evil spirits and moves in with you. Don't want that, do you? Finally, we see the last weapon used by David, 1 Samuel 17. Beginning with verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, he's talking right directly to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. By the way, the devil uses force, intimidation, fear in order to try to control you. 
Or he uses deception in the father of lies of trying to appear like he's so much like God that you can't tell the difference. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. Look what He's doing, brothers and sisters. He's giving all the credit, all the praise, all the glory of the defeat that's going to come to the God in heaven. He never takes one bit of credit of Himself. I'm not doing it because of what I've done. It's what God is working and doing through me. What God is doing in this whole situation. I'm just a minute part of the great battle that's taking place. And the battle is is between God and Satan, and God will overcome. When I realize that God will overcome, I can stand up against anything. When I verbalize that faith, my faith increases. When I take a time to be able to have a wilderness experience, and it doesn't have to be 40 years, but when I take some lone time to be with God, my faith increases. When I have the time to be able to give credit to God for all He has done for me and all He's going to do, I, my faith increases. When I look back and I see the times that God has led me in the past, I know He's going to lead me in the future. My faith increases. When my faith increases, I can stand up against the devil himself, not on my power, but I can look him in square in the eyes and say, You have been defeated through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do whatever you want to me. But I tell you what, your end is coming. And you better look out. Because you got the wrath of God come pouring down on you. And you're going to lose your head over it. Brothers and sisters, we're coming to a time in this world's history that the world's going to come to the end. The devil's going to come in like an angel of light. He's going to try to deceive the very elect. He's going to come in with intimidation and fear. He's going to try to make you so afraid that you don't think, I don't have the power to be able to stand up against him. He's so stronger than I am. I just don't know what to do. I've got strength through Jesus Christ. It's the time that I'm going to be able to go through that all the prophets and all the times ever written in the Bible says this is the time that we wish that we could see that you're living in right now. And you're going to see God working in such a mighty way that what we've done in the past is just nothing compared to what you're going to go through. What an exciting time. 
Next week, we're going to take a look at the Antichrist beast, and we're going to allow the Bible to be able to say who and what this Antichrist beast is at the end of time. But we're not only going to stop there. We're going to go one step farther, and we're going to see how that Antichrist beast can influence even a church of God and God's people. So that if we're not ready, we don't have the whole armor of God, we can be fooled. We can, be, we can be set aside and, and thinking we're following God when in reality we're not. So you want to be here next week and the week after to be able to hear this. But in the meantime, what I've got to rely upon is the promises that God has in store for me. The promises that are there to be able to see me through the end. So let's take our hymnals, if we would, and let's sing about standing on the promises of God, hymn number 500 and 18. Shall we stand and sing? of Christ my King through eternal ages let the praises ring glory in the highest I will shout and sing standing on the promises of God standing 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 on the promises of God my Savior Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God standing standing I'm standing on the promises of God Father take my unbelief and turn it into strong faith and belief in you 
That's the only way I'm going to be able to stand. Help to be able to place the word within my life so that it becomes clear so I will know truth and not error. Help me, O Lord, to have the strength to be able to come the small things in my life so that I might be able to stand when the big things come within my life itself. I pray for each person here that all will be present in the heavenly kingdom when Jesus comes in all of his glory. In his name we pray. Amen.